We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. And welcome to the Situation Report today. Glad to have you joining me. This is the show where we do our very best every single episode to give you the information and perspectives you need to navigate an ever-changing culture. My name is Jeremy Stonlicker. I am your host. And today we're going to discuss an issue that is controversial at best <laughs> and extremely confusing, hard to understand, uh, difficult to get our brains around at worst. It is controversial because of the topic. We're going to be talking about uh, drug use and abuse and specifically the drug fentanyl today. Um, so it is controversial because of that, depending on which side of the argument for or against the use of recreational drugs you are on. I understand fentanyl is not uh, fall into the category of recreational drug use. Uh, we'll get to that in just a second. But depending on where you fall on this issue, it may or may not be controversial. Your perspective certainly would vary depending on what you believe specifically about this, perhaps even the state that you live in. Um, but beyond that, so beyond the issue itself, the issue of drug use and particularly drug use in teenagers, uh, there is the question of how the drugs that are coming into the United States are getting here, are getting into our communities, how teenagers are getting a hold of them, and why these drugs are killing kids across the country. We see uh, and hear stories of drug overdose deaths all of the time. Where are they coming from? Uh, this is the confusing part. Uh, how do good kids from good homes get a hold of these drugs that are taking the lives of themselves often, but certainly their friends, others that they know, and how can it be controlled? Uh, I came across a great article today that I think deals with this in a very thought-provoking way, and I wanted to share this with you. I mention this all the time, but as a parent, uh, a parent of young adult kids, I have two young adult kids, they're in their early 20s, and then I have two teenage kids. Uh, these issues, the issues related to teenagers and young adults and the world that we live in and uh, so many of the choices that have to be made, uh, these are very personal issues to me. They're issues that uh, I struggle with uh, understanding. I struggle to navigate personally. I do my best to help those in my life understand them clearly, but they're very, very important issues. If you are a parent, then you know what it's like to live in fear. And we're not supposed to fear as a Christian. Uh, we're supposed to have faith in God, and I do. I believe that. I have faith in God for my kids. I pray for their protection, their safety, uh, their wisdom every single day. But we live in a world where things happen, crazy things happen. And that is specifically what's talked about in this article. I want to read this to you and work through this together. Uh, this is from uh, the Heritage Foundation. It's posted on the Heritage Foundation site. 
but it was written by Laura Rees. Laura is the director of border security and the uh, of the Border Security and Immigration Center. Uh, so again, just from her title, you know where she is approaching this from. The director of the Border Security and Immigration Center. The article starts off here, and this is a good place to start with some key takeaways. We'll work through the article together, but here are the key key takeaways. Uh, get this. This is crazy. Every day, more than 300 of our children and loved ones are poisoned with fentanyl, an extremely lethal drug often disguised as other medication. Every day, every day. <laughs> More than 300 of our children and loved ones are poisoned with fentanyl. Uh, I may not have read the title of this article. Are children being poisoned is the real public health crisis? Um, And so that key takeaway, every day more than 300 of our children and loved ones are poisoned with fentanyl. Number two, it kills before the victim even realizes what is happening to them. So scary, this drug. Number three, most illicit fentanyl today is manufactured in Mexico and brought across our southern border. I'm going to pause here. Those are the three key takeaways. We're going to jump into the text of the article. But when we discuss on this show, I can't speak for anyone else, but when we discuss on this show issues of border security, we talk about immigration, we we deal with these issues. There are a lot of people that just shut it off, tune it out, move on, this isn't important, or why do you care who comes into the United States, or uh, why are you racist, or all all these questions, right? And the the premise of those questions is just ridiculous on its face. Uh, To say that we should have a border that is secure, and secure doesn't mean keeps everyone from crossing the border, it just means that we know who is coming across the border and where they're going when they get here. Uh, I've said this on this show and other shows many, many times. Uh, my wife and her family immigrated from um, from Europe when she was eight years old. Uh, they are a very European family. They come from Germany, and they followed a process of immigration. Um, my wife's father came first, and he needed to be here for a while before he could bring the rest of the family. It was a long process but they followed the process. Immigration is what has made the United States what it is. We could go back 100 years. We could go back to the beginning, really, of our nation. We know there were indigenous peoples here, but immigration is what brought uh, many to the United States. Most of us could trace our heritage back to immigrants. Uh, I understand all of that, and I'm for all of it. (laughs) Uh, This is not a question about, is immigration itself good or bad? It's a question about, should we secure our borders? Should we control immigration into the United States? What are the issues if we don't? There are economic issues. Uh, There are public health and safety issues. One of the big issues is the transport of drugs across our southern border that have a very real impact on communities across the country. So you live in a state in the United States that is not a border state, does not have to deal directly with immigration or these issues of immigration. Um, Why should you care? You should care because what happens at our southern border will, directly or indirectly, impact your community. Let's begin reading this article. There is a real public health crisis among America's young people, and it isn't COVID-19. Every day, more than 300 of our children and loved ones are poisoned with fentanyl, an extremely lethal drug often disguised as other medication and hidden in party drugs popular among our youth. Yet most leaders in this country refuse to talk about it, let alone work to stop it. 
I'm going to stop at a lot of points along the way here. Um, but that last sentence, most leaders in our country refuse to talk about it, let alone work to stop it. Why is that? Uh, we can fight over that. And I'll give you my opinion. There's an opinion offered in this article as well. Uh, but my opinion is that when it comes to issues of personal choice, there are a lot of areas that the government would like to overreach and tell us what we can and what we cannot do. But there are other areas that have become, um, particularly politically, areas that our political officials need to stay away from. Uh, drug use in the United States is one of those areas. We need to stay away from it. In fact, we need to support states deciding what they're going to do as it relates to drug use. When we talk about drug use, however, we are not talking about drugs like fentanyl, that even the dust from fentanyl can be deadly. We hear often of police officers who are booking into evidence uh, fentanyl that was seized on someone at a traffic stop or somewhere else, and because of the residue on the packet, they become near-death, uh, near-deathly ill. Uh, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about states deciding what they'll do with drugs and drug use in their own state. This is something entirely different. But because it has been classified into either the category of issues around immigration or issues around the state's decisions regarding drug use, most politicians, at least at the federal level, are staying away from it. And yet, as we have already read before we've even gotten into most of the body of this text, 300 young people in the United States every single day, 300 a day, are being impacted by this. Let's continue reading. When COVID-19 hit, multiple agencies at the federal, state, and local levels conducted massive public service campaigns. Posters, radio, TV, and social media ads instructed us to wash our hands, cover our cough, keep our distance, wear a mask, and get vaccinated. The campaign continues today despite the weakening of the virus. According to the CDC, 1,494 Americans aged 0 to 18 years have died of COVID-19. One is too many. We'll always say that uh, when I'm talking about uh, veteran suicide deaths in the United States, and those numbers are alarmingly high. We don't know exactly what they are, but between 20 and 40 veterans every single day take their lives, and, and there's a lot of evidence to support both of those numbers. Uh, we don't know exactly what it is. We know it's very high. Um, I always say one is too many. But when you get into numbers like 20 or more, that's a pandemic. People should be jumping up and down and screaming, stopping everything to deal with this issue on the veteran suicide issue. Uh, a lot of people are talking about it. Many are not. It's not considered a pandemic in our country. But let's look at more than 300 a day. COVID-19, the entire world stopped. The entire planet, it seems, stopped spinning so we could deal with this. Your issues or beliefs or perspectives around COVID-19 aside, the CDC tells us that 1,494 Americans from 0 to 18 have died of COVID-19. One is too many, but in the grand scheme of what we're discussing right now, the entire planet stopped for a statistically very small number. One more time. I'm not trying to dismiss uh, these deaths if one of these deaths, one of these 1,494 have touched your life, it is very personal to you and very real. I understand that. But the comparison is 
Why would we stop everything to deal with that and yet neglect what's happening in this area in particular? The article continues, that number pales in comparison to fentanyl poisonings. The American public needs to understand these fentanyl deaths aren't classic overdoses among addicts. These aren't broken kids with substance use disorder. The overwhelming majority aren't actively seeking fentanyl at all. Rather, in an age where uh, medication is advertised wall-to-wall on our TVs, radio, and social media, kids, like adults, think they can take a pill to fix anything, including stress and anxiety conditions rampant among young people. Have you ever picked up a towel set because it felt really soft in the store, but then when you got to use it, it's not very absorbent? It's basically a towel that's leaving you out to dry. That's why MyPillow has developed the MyPillow Towels. Towels that work. I know, it's mind-blowing. Towels that actually dry you. Their six-piece towel set includes two bath towels, two hand towels, and two washcloths. They come in a variety of colors, and right now you can receive a six-piece set for only $39.98 with promo code SITREP. Go to MyPillow.com right now and click on the radio listener special. MyPillow products all come with a 10-year warranty and their 60-day money-back guarantee. To receive this amazing offer on the six-piece set of MyPillow towels, just go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener special, and enter promo code SITREP or call 800-870-0283. That's MyPillow.com, promo code SITREP. In a time where drug use among our youth is as much a rite of passage as alcohol use, illicit fentanyl hit the stage and it's killing them. When medication is ordered online or when recreational drugs are passed out by an acquaintance at a party, it is far too often illicit fentanyl, and it kills before the victim even realizes what is happening to them. Additionally, those who do suffer from substance use disorder are all future opportunities to recover stolen from them by fentanyl-contaminated drugs consumed without knowledge or intent. Uh, There's a lot here. Let me pause and just highlight she she talks about how most of these kids who are dying from fentanyl use um, aren't broken kids with substance use disorder. They're not seeking out fentanyl. Again, it's so easy to say, well, those kids, <laughs> they made some mistakes. They're behaving badly. Uh, they probably come from broken homes. Uh, these are kids who are seeking out really hard drugs, and the consequence for that is the loss of their life. It's tragic they lost their life, but it's because of the decisions they're making. I'm a big fan of being responsible for your actions. I'm a huge fan of parents teaching their kids that they must be responsible for their actions. Uh, I understand that decisions have consequences. I get all of that. But we have to be very, very careful not to put the kids who are dying of fentanyl use in the same category as hardcore drug users. And also to understand that when we communicate to society at large, to the culture around us, to children, that a pill can fix everything, that also has a consequence. In a time where drug use among our youth is as much a rite of passage as alcohol use, illicit fentanyl hit the stage and it's killing them. We have popularized drug use, and the drugs that were popularized are not the ones primarily killing kids. It's what's being added to them. Let's continue reading. 
This drug crisis is unlike any we have experienced. It requires a different approach. Applied harm reduction hasn't moved the needle an inch to reduce illicit fentanyl mortalities for the past nine years. Neither rehabilitation nor needle exchanges nor safe injection centers can rehabilitate a dead child or a non-addicted teenager. There were COVID-19 death and injury tickers on the internet and corners of our TV screens throughout 2020. Where are the fentanyl death and injury counters? How many fentanyl poisonings are survived? Nobody knows. How many deaths have been the direct result of fake prescription pills? Nobody knows. How many deaths have been caused by commonly used party drugs? Nobody knows. After nine long and deadly years, illicit fentanyl doesn't even have its own category rating in ICD-10 mortality codes. It's mixed with other synthetic drugs. Fentanyl poisoning is decimating a new, non-addicted population because our leaders refuse to give public safety warnings. Where are the studies? Politicians won't even assess the problem, nor will they talk to families and parents of children poisoned by illicit fentanyl, because that would require admitting that this is a different type of drug problem and it needs to be addressed. One obvious issue is that politicians would have to admit how our open southern border has fueled this fatal epidemic. Most illicit fentanyl today is manufactured in Mexico and brought across our southern border. In 2021 alone, the Drug Enforcement Administration seized more than 21 million fake prescription pills containing illicit fentanyl. Of those tested, 40% contained lethal amounts of the drug. This year, the agency has seized 50.6 million counterfeit pills and more than 10,000 pounds of powdered fentanyl, enough to kill every American, that's in quotes, as the DEA put it. Think about that. The agency this year, this would be 2022, has seized 50.6 million counterfeit pills and more than 10,000 pounds of powdered fentanyl, enough to kill every American. Bags of these deadly fake pills are now being found in middle schools. But the Biden administration and the left remain fully committed to their open border policies. Even though opioids, uh, large fentanyl, um, largely fentanyl, are now the number one killer of Americans aged 18 to 45 years old. The fentanyl crisis has tremendous suffering, uh, even beyond the fatalities. It has left untold numbers of parents broken and grieving, and hundreds of thousands of children traumatized by the loss of one or both parents. How many more Americans must die before this administration will change course? Uh, that is a great article and just really hits the highlights of this issue. But again, considering what it is and what it is doing to particularly young people in our country, young people and older, fentanyl, opioids, largely fentanyl, it says here in the second to last paragraph, are now the number one killer of Americans aged 18 to 45 years old. Opioids, largely fentanyl, the number one killer of Americans aged 18 to 45 years old. Um, this is what is happening, and yet the issue is being ignored by those who, ha who have the ability to do something about it. The, the big question is why and what. Uh, again, education is important. Why has there not been a full-on assault from an education standpoint 
advertising, educating young people about the danger not only of fentanyl, but how fentanyl gets to them when they don't expect it to. They're not going out looking for it, and they're finding it in other places. Uh, Where is it coming from, and how can they avoid it? Uh, How deadly is this drug? Why is it important that they're aware that they understand what they're doing? Where is the advertising that is communicating that message? Uh, Largely non-existent. It's nowhere to be found. The second question is, why aren't we doing something on our southern border if only to protect the young people in our communities? We look at those numbers and understand that opioids are the number one killer of um, young adults, 18 to middle-aged adult, 40, uh, adults 45. 18 to 45 in the United States, the number one killer. Most of those drugs coming across our southern border. Fentanyl being a major driver in those deaths. Why do we still refuse to plug up the holes? Why do we still refuse to make sure we know who's coming into our country and who is not? Um, Again, as a parent, I think about this issue and it's disappointing. It's it's saddening. It makes me angry and not because... I believe necessarily that this is what my kids are going to get into. What bothers me about this issue is that it's easily remedied if only those who have been given the charge of protecting the rights and freedoms of Americans would follow the Constitution and enforce the law. Education is important, and I believe we could go a long way in preventing many of these deaths if we would educate young people about the danger and where it comes from and why uh, this will eventually impact them if they're not careful and focused on what they need to be focused on. Education is very important, Um, but education alone is not going to fix the flood of poison that's coming into our country. What can fix it is an administration— And by the way, uh, this is not just this administration. This has been uh, an issue more or less for generations. But until we have the will as Americans to enforce our own laws, dealing with coming across our border, enforcing the legal process, So that when someone comes across our border, we know where they're coming from and where they're going to and how they're going to make a living while they're here in our country. Unless we are willing to enforce our own laws, this will continue to be a problem and this problem will continue to grow. The reason this is frustrating and disappointing and angering on so many levels is because I believe what it demonstrates is that we have politicians that don't care about the consequences of their more politically-based decisions. I've had a hard time understanding what the uh, political math is, the calculation is around allowing illegal immigration as we're seeing it today, unprecedented numbers of folks coming across our border right now. And I feel for those people. Uh, If I was somewhere other other than the United States, particularly in South America, I would do everything I could to get across the border as well. Uh, I'd do everything I could to bring my family across the border. Uh, I I certainly understand the desire to get out of very difficult, very bad situations 
and into better situations uh, as can be found here in the United States. I understand that. Uh, This is not about having an issue with the people who are coming across the border. If they're not bringing drugs and doing other illegal things as they come across the border. I understand the desire to be in the United States. However, I also understand the necessity placed upon those who are elected to public office to protect Americans who are in the United States, to provide a system that allows immigration to be as safe and as productive as possible. And when we have politicians who are unwilling to do that, then what they are communicating, at least to me, is that they don't care about young people. They don't care about communities. They don't care about families, certainly. We've discussed other issues that reflect uh, the disdain of many politicians for family and even an understanding of why they would do their best to destroy the family. Uh, We see so many areas, this being one of them, that communicates that those who we elect into office are not standing up for the rights and protecting the rights of American citizens. So what do we do about it? I think this is the the million-dollar question. I don't have the answer to every question. I can't answer every issue connected to this one. But I will say that when politicians are discussing these big issues that we have a hard time understanding because we don't do this professionally. <laughs> when politicians who are running for office, local office, state office, federal office, when they're running for office and they're talking about these issues that may be important, that they can spin in a way that makes sense to them, that will allow us to hear it. And even though we don't understand it, it sounds good. When we're dealing with politicians who we are electing to office, we need to ask the right questions and understand that the decisions we make, that is, who we elect into office, those decisions have very real consequences. You can say, I don't care about immigration. I live far away from where that would be an issue. Know that what comes across the border may eventually find itself into your community and affect your family. So how you vote, who you elect, who you send to Washington on your behalf, and the decisions they make when they get there have a very real impact on you and your community. We see this in so many other areas, but what we can do is hold our politicians accountable. We hear that a lot, but I think more than anything, what we can do, starting from where we are and working up, we can put the right people in place. Do you have the right people on your local school boards? You can impact that. You say, well, I can't impact a lot of things. You can impact that. What are you doing to make sure the right people are on the school board making the right decisions for our kids in schools? What about your city council? Are the right people on that city council? You say, perhaps like I have for many, many years, it doesn't really matter. Uh, The people who sit on the city council, they're making decisions for uh, zoning and and streets and public works, and they're doing those things, and that's going to happen. It doesn't matter. We've seen over the last couple of years that it does matter. But even when it comes to how laws are enforced in the context of local communities, it matters. Who's on the city council? Uh, What are you doing to make sure the right people are in place? Uh, 
What about in your state government? Uh, whatever that looks like in your state, if you have an assembly or state senate, uh, your representatives, uh, who are those people? Are they the right people? Are they answering the right questions? Are they doing the right thing? Are they putting in place policies and defending uh, laws, enforcing laws that would keep things like this out of your communities? Are you putting the right people in place? If we will start from the bottom up, I know people often talk about the president and uh, what just happened in Congress this last week, a big, big conversation. Obviously, we talk about those things. We talk about Senate. We talk about all these things. These are important things to talk about. But the way we make change in our communities, the way we defend our families and stand up for our kids and, and keep poison out of our communities and make a difference is by controlling the controllables. I think you should vote for the president. I think you should vote for uh, your um, representatives. I think we should vote for U.S. senators. I think we should vote for all of those things. But where you can campaign, where you can make a difference, where you can stand up and say that's good or uh, stand up and say that's not good is locally. Do the hard work where you are, and that will give you the ability to truly make an impact that will outlast you, outlive you, outlast your kids, and will set up another generation, the one coming behind you, in a good way, in a healthy way, and in a way that will propel, propel them forward. Uh, there is so much in this. This is, to me, I read this article, and to me, this is not about fentanyl, <laughs> as horrible as this is. It's about the fact that 300 teenagers a day can be impacted by this and no one seems to care the fact that because it's connected to an issue like immigration and if it wasn't connected to the issue of immigration um, I guarantee that someone would care but because it's connected to immigration so many politicians are unwilling to even talk about it because then they'd have to do something about the problem uh, which is our southern border this is such a disappointing issue to me, not specifically because of fentanyl uh, or drug use or even one's take on recreational drug use that may end up laced with something like fentanyl. That, that to me is not the big issue. The big issue is that we're living at a crazy time in American culture where although we once had a common belief that the family was important and we needed to do anything we could to protect our kids, We've somehow moved beyond that. If we don't get back to it, we're in real trouble. Uh, we've talked about transgender issues. We've talked about um, what's happening in our schools. We've talked about critical race theory. We've talked about uh, so many issues that are impacting kids today. This is just another one. And to me, this is just one more brick on the pile that should communicate in a really loud way. If I don't do something, if you don't do something, nothing will be done. What are you doing to confront issues like this one, to stand up for your families, to stand up for your kids, to ensure that your community is in the best possible place? What are you doing? Don't leave it to others because others, you know, they're making decisions with different math than you and I have. They're making decisions based on what will get them elected and what will get them on the right committee and what will put them in the right place. We need to make decisions that reflect what is best for those 
that we love and those that we care about. Uh, This is a great article. Again, you can find this on the Heritage Foundation website. I get a lot of good information from the Heritage Foundation website. It's entitled, Our Children Being Poisoned is the Real Public Health Crisis. You can also uh, follow Laura Reese, who's the Director of Border Security and Immigration Center. Um, If nothing else, this is a starting point. This is one of those rabbit holes that once you start going down, uh, you wish you hadn't, but you learn an awful lot. And uh, this is impacting so many areas in our country. I appreciate you uh, listening to this show and watching this show. Uh, It's my goal, and we're getting better all the time, (laughs) but it is my goal to have on guests when we don't have guests, to have conversations, to deal with issues, to address topics that are important to us. There are a lot of things happening in our world. There's a lot of noise going on around us all of the time. Uh, I get that. It can be hard to cut through that. Uh, A lot of things are being said, and particularly when it gets to major news networks. And if you're on social media, people are screaming about things all the time. There are a lot of important things happening. I I don't want to diminish that. Uh, But we need to have the right information to navigate the, the culture that's changing around us. And it is changing. But I'll tell you this, it's changing faster now than it has at any point in history. And instead of just recognizing that it's changing and, and maybe shifting our footing from left to right or whatever the case, uh, we need to navigate in a very real, very purposeful, in an offensive uh, way. We need to navigate what's happening around us. Uh, otherwise, uh, we're going to be left with nothing to navigate. So I hope this show goes to helping you understand issues that are important and uh, getting a hold of that information that you need to navigate because that's what we have to do. We have to navigate, stand up, speak truth, and navigate forward. Uh, If you're listening, thank you for doing that. Please take some time to subscribe to this podcast on whatever your favorite podcast platform is. Uh, You're listening there right now. Go ahead and subscribe. If you're watching on YouTube, thank you for doing that. We are continuing to put content on YouTube. Our channel, you can go to YouTube, search for The Situation Report. You'll find us there. And uh, that is a place where we have a great archive of video podcasts, these episodes all uh, on video. Now, there are are a couple that we have recorded you can find on uh, the Salem Podcast Network (laughs) that you can listen to, but you might not find a video. YouTube doesn't like all of the content. Now, they don't hate all of it either, but there's some content they don't like of ours. doesn't make it over to YouTube, but most of the episodes we have uh, are on YouTube. I'd encourage you to go check those out. Uh, That's a great place to watch the video. You can also listen to it, of course, but you can uh, leave us a comment there. You can share really easily from YouTube. And uh, we'd love to connect with you there. So please uh, go and join that community. Subscribe to that channel. Hit the notification bell. Uh, subscribing is great. Uh, hitting that notification bell, what does that do? It lets you know as soon as new content is pushed out. And uh, we'd love to make sure that you have that as well. And if there's anything we can do to help you or support you, please let us know. Really do appreciate you uh, listening and watching. Thank you. And we will talk to you next time. Many of you know that my day job is working for an organization called the Mighty Oaks Foundation. I've had the opportunity to work with the Mighty Oaks Foundation for a little over 10 years now and very grateful for that opportunity. 
I served in the United States Marine Corps and left in 2003. When I came back from Iraq and got out of the Marine Corps, I transitioned and had some of the same struggles that many of our veterans today have. Uh, That transition time can be very, very difficult. I moved on with the help and support of my family and others in my close-knit community and really, in many ways, tried to walk away from my service. It was too hard, too difficult for me to look back, to remember, to stay connected, and so I chose not to. About 10 years after I walked away, I was reconnected with many of the men that I had served with uh, in Iraq and even before that Iraq deployment and came to understand that so many of the men that I served with did not do well. I came home and I struggled, but I had a family around me and I had a community around me that helped me to get back on my feet and continue moving forward. So many of those that I had served with, however, did not have the same opportunity. They came home and didn't have that family around them, that community that could lift them up. And so they made some decisions, decisions that we talk about often in the veteran community. I was reminded about 10 years after my service that some of the men that I served with in Iraq came home and struggled and decided that it would be best for them to end their lives. Others who had not taken their lives, but who had struggled from one relationship to the next, from one job to another, and had never really gotten back on their feet. I learned after 10 years that walking away from my military service was not really an option. (laughs) You see, we think we can hang our uniform in the closet for the last time and walk away, but our obligation to those that we served with remains. It was at that time that I had the opportunity to get connected to the Mighty Oaks Foundation. It was just getting started. I met our founder, Chad Robichaux. And together we began to work on what is today a national nonprofit serving veterans, active duty service members, and more and more the first responders in our community. That's what we do. You see, Chad served in the Marine Corps as well, and both of us have an understanding, and so many of the folks, many, many folks that work with us now who served in the military and in the first responder community understand that we may get out, we may hang the uniform up, but we still have an obligation to care for those who have served or are serving. That's exactly what we do at the Mighty Oaks Foundation every single day. We run programs across the country for those who have served, veterans, or are serving, active duty service members, those who are serving in their community as first responders, police officers and firefighters, and others in that first responder community. We serve them by helping them to understand that there is life beyond their service, that their identity should be wrapped up in more than a uniform or a job that they've done or are doing, that there is a purpose, that there is a plan. In fact, that God, the creator, has something he intends for them. And that if they'll simply align their lives to the life that he has for them, so much of the trauma, so much of the difficulty, so much of their past, so many of those things that have a hold on them, they may not go away, but they won't maintain the hold and the control. Here's the message we try to convey and communicate. There is hope. And there is a community of people found within the Mighty Oaks Foundation that understand where you've been because we've been there. We don't have it all figured out. We're certainly not perfect, but we've taken some steps to move forward and we want to take you with us. That's what we do. How do we do that? Again, by communicating the fact that there is hope, by connecting with others who've been there and know how to move forward and by getting around you and supporting you as you begin to take those very important steps yourself. 
The Mighty Oaks Foundation is blessed to have supporters across the country that make it possible for us to do the work that we do at no cost to the veteran, the active duty service member, or the first responder. For you to attend our program, you simply need to set aside five days and come to one of our locations, one of our facilities. We'll do the rest. There will be no cost to you for the program, no cost for the transportation to get you to the program. We do all of the planning and all of the logistics. You simply need to get there. We want to remove every obstacle for you to get the help, the encouragement, the strengthening, <laughs> the hope, the renewal that you need. We're thankful for the opportunity to do that. Perhaps you are not a veteran or a service member. You're not in the first responder community, but you care about those who have served and are serving our communities. Well, you may fall into the other category then. Perhaps you're someone that can support what we do financially to make it possible for those folks to come along. Maybe your support is not financial support, but you know someone in your community, in your town, in your church, uh, in a club, or something else that you're a part of that could use this kind of support and encouragement. Plug them in. Let us help them. Let us get them on the road. No cost to them. We want to do the work, but we need you to get them to us. That was a lot of words. If you listen to the show, you know I say a lot of words sometimes. So let me point you to the one place where you can get all of your questions answered. MightyOaksPrograms.org is our website. MightyOaksPrograms.org. There you will find more information about what we do as an organization. There's an application for those who would like to apply. Fill that out, application out. Our team will get back to you, set everything else up. If you would like to support the work of the Mighty Oaks Foundation, you'll find a place to do that there as well. And there is also a section for resources. So many of you know people who need help but may not start by coming to a program, attending a program, but they would read a book, they would watch a video, they would listen to a testimony. We have those resources there for you as well. So please come and join us at the Mighty Oaks Foundation's website, mightyoaksprograms.org. Our veterans, active duty members, and first responders need our support. Maybe you're in that category. You need our support. And that begins by going to the Mighty Oaks Programs website, mightyoaksprograms.org.